Love it. Some old classic rock and roll today. Very good, very good. So good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together and happy Memorial Day weekend. I always think of two things on this weekend. Um, the first one, I'm a history teacher, so forgive me for this, but it's Churchill's famous quote. He was speaking of the troops that defend freedom around the world, and he said, never has so much been owed by so few, I'm sorry, by so many to so few. And I think that's very true, and I think it's fitting for us to take um, this holiday weekend to remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice. And if you're a veteran, we wanna thank you as well. Thank you so much for serving. Thank you, thank you. The second thing Memorial Day makes me think of, and I, I don't think I'm alone on this, is summer. Like it's finally here, right? Especially after this spring that went on forever. And um, so for most of us, that probably means outdoor activities like the beach, sun, you know, gardening, getting outside and stuff like that. I'm a little bit more indoorsy. And so um, for me, it means the big summer blockbuster movies are coming out. And so I get really excited about those. Our family really likes movies. Um, and it's one of, the, one of the things as our kids were growing up, we like to, to do together. And several years ago, our family actually went to one of these summer blockbusters together. And we had this really unique experience. So as we walked out, my son, Jimmy, and I agreed it was a pretty good movie. And then my wife, Lisa, stops and turns to us with this look of amazement on her face. And she goes, that was incredible. And I was thinking, like, I'm a little bit surprised, like, wanted to hear more. And then our daughter, Jenna, so this was five or six years ago, so let's see, Jenna would have been uh, 17, Lisa would have been uh, 31. And um, <laughs> Jenna stopped, like, makes us stop okay, walks out like in front of us, faces all three of us, and she says, she turned around, big eyes, and she goes, that was the most amazing film I've ever seen. <laughs> and Jimmy and I were like, what? Like, we obviously missed something. It was okay. Like, it wasn't that good. So I know what you're wondering. Like, okay, what film did we choose, right? This was, this was the summer. There's, the big films out that summer was The Secret Life of Pets. It was not that. Okay, oh, maybe it was Finding Dory. That was out, no, wasn't that either. So what could, you know, what had the girls, the girls just loved it and the guys were like, meh. And maybe it was like the re-release of some epic romantic comedy like Hope Floats, right? My wife will watch this every day if she could. It was not that. What movie could have left me and Jimmy like whatever and Lisa and Jenna spellbound? Are you ready? It was Tarzan. Yeah, now, Tarzan. Now, not this realistic Tarzan, not this guy, okay? It was not the cartoon Tarzan. No, it was this Tarzan, all right? Go figure, right? So apparently, Tarzan, deep in the jungle, has access to a personal trainer and a private chef and all the time in the world to work out, yet, can't afford a shirt. Give me a break. He ran around the entire movie looking like that. Has he never heard of poison ivy? Is there no mosquitoes in the jungle anymore? So unrealistic. I was trying to explain this to Lisa and Jenna that this is just computer generated. It's not real. And they would not believe me. And so 
I did a little research and I actually found a picture of this same actor, actor on the set of Tarzan. No makeup, no special effects. Patrick, I think we have a picture of him here, okay? <laughs> Anybody could look like that. Any, I could have been Tarzan, please, unbelievable. The way men are depicted nowadays in films, it's, it really is pitiful. The jungle consumes everything. It preys on the old, the sick, the wounded. It preys on the weak. But never the strong. He is no normal man. He was thought to be an evil spirit, a ghost in the trees. No man ever started with less. He's Tarzan. You're Jane. He'll come for you. Put on a shirt, <laughs> for goodness sake, I was, I was practicing yesterday and Lisa's like, what, can, I just wanna see the, can I see the trailer again? She goes, it's giving me chills. I'm like, oh please, wow, the most amazing movie ever, whatever. But, uh, but I will tell you what I did like about this film, for those of you who have not seen it. The story, the story, is something we've been talking about for a couple weeks now, is the power of story, and it's such a great premise for a story this legend of Tarzan, an orphaned baby, like a stranger living in a new and foreign world, making a difference by learning the way of those around him, serving them, loving them, where they are, as they are, and moving forward by like grabbing a vine and jumping, swinging, letting go, and doing it over and over again. It really is a great story. Now, you can have all the special effects in the world, a huge budget, a great cast, even a scantily clad man on screen, but a movie can never be better than the story it's telling. And that's not just true for movies. You ask a high school student, I've been doing this for years, this is my 33rd year as a teacher, and I've been doing this for years, and it's almost always true, but you ask a high school student, what do you have third hour? and you expect to get the answer of government or math, but most of the time, they will say, oh, I have Mr. Smith, or I have Mrs. Jones. It's really, really interesting. I share that with new teachers all the time, that as a new teacher, you might think that you are teaching a subject, but students 
are taking you. They're taking you, so you better have a story. You've got to have a story. Like, why are you here? Why this subject? Why is it important? Why do they need to know it? If you don't have a story, they're lost. They're completely checked out. We talked about this last week. It, all, it goes all the way back in human history, the power of stories, with prehistoric man gathering around fires. Why? Why is that? Well, we know this in, in, our, in the modern world that cars run on gas. We know horses run on hay. But people have always run and still run on stories. One author put it like this. We are, as a species, addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Isn't that wild? The truth is we are all living in and we are living out a story. Now, some of us have some awareness of the story that we see ourselves in. And for some of us, it's maybe not something that we think about at all, but we really are. We are in a story. We all see ourselves some way, in some setting in our life, trying to accomplish something, push against some resistance, figure out something for a greater purpose. It's a story. It's a story. One of the reasons that we chose the name Storyline for this community of faith, it's been almost 20 years now, is because of the power of narrative or story. The power that it has to inform and form and then transform us. Or, if we get stuck in a bad story, to deform us. Counselors will tell you that a huge part of healing, of moving forward in life, is leaving our old story behind for a new one. Another writer says it like this. Those who do not have the power over the story that dominate their lives the power to retell it, rethink it, deconstruct it, joke about it, and change it as times change, truly are powerless. One of the reasons that this community of faith storyline exists is that we believe the most powerful story in our lives is the one that we believe about God. So together... We have set out to do something that the Christian church has done over and over and over again throughout all of its history. Take the most amazing story in human history, Jesus and his gospel of grace, and rethink, reframe, and retell it in a way that is relevant and compelling and can actually save people. Satan can't make me doubt it. I won't doubt it's it. It's real and I'm gonna shout it. I'm gonna shout well, it. I Hold was on. There Hold on. I hate to interrupt, but you guys got something else. I'm sorry. I can't market gospel no more. So that's it? I don't record material that doesn't sell, Mr. Cash, and gospel like that doesn't sell. So is it the gospel or the way I sing it? Both. Well, what's wrong with the way I sing it? I don't believe you. You 
saying I don't believe in God? JR, come on, let's go. No. I want to understand. I mean, we come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe in God. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times. Just like that. Just like how you were singing it. Well, you didn't let us bring it home. <laughs> bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. If you was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, huh? one song people would remember before your dirt, one song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth, one song that would sum you up, you telling me that's the song you'd sing, that same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it? Or would you sing something different? Something real. Something you felt. Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. You see, followers of Jesus in the Bible and the early church, not to mention Jesus himself, were brilliant at doing just that at retelling the story of God. Last week we saw that the Bible itself describes the mission of Jesus this way. God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in Jesus, and that is the retelling of all things in Jesus. Have you ever suddenly found a new perspective on something or had the script flipped on you? It is a powerful experience. I think we've probably all had that happen in one shape or form. Sometimes it's a tragedy. Sometimes it's tragic. It, it often happens around the sudden loss of a loved one, the, the death of a loved one, or maybe a broken relationship that we didn't anticipate. The result is the same. Our lives are completely different because we find ourselves in a new story. We're, we're being retold. And that's the power of it. Last year, um, I coached basketball with a very good friend of mine. And I had not coached in about seven years after many, many years of coaching. And so I had a seven-year hiatus, and he asked me to coach with him. And so we're buddies, and so I did. And um, like I said, I've been coaching for decades, I've coached basketball. And I've been playing basketball now for almost 50 years. And uh, I was coaching with Ryan, and he just, he, he blew me away. He knows so much about this game. He should not know as much as he does. He's just a kid, it seems like. And I learned so much, and since the season has been over, I still play basketball. I've actually been playing differently. Now, that doesn't mean good. It just means different. And the guys that I play with have actually noticed. Like, I'm not saying I'm better, but I think at the very least, I'm getting worse slower, which at this age is a good thing. And here's why. Because the game has changed for me. Like, the way Ryan coached these freshmen, and I was pretending to coach too, but I was really just listening, the way he told the story of basketball and how it works it, it made me see it differently. And because now I see the game differently, 
I play it differently. That's the power of a new script, of a new story. And this retelling of the life of faith started with Jesus, but it has continued on after him. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul, if you read the book of Acts, it's after the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's the book of Acts. And it's just kind of like, what did the first followers do? And about half of that book is the story of a man named Paul who went around basically the Mediterranean world telling people about the gospel of grace, Jesus and his gospel of grace. But here's the thing that you notice. In every chapter, he's in a different town and he tells the story differently. It depends on where he's at and who he's talking to. He retells, he reframes, he rethinks the story of God. Early followers of Jesus did other things like they would rip off slogans and sayings from the Roman Empire and they would use those slogans and sayings and they would insert them into Jesus' story. They used poetry and law from the surrounding culture of wherever they were at, they would incorporate those into the story of Jesus and then merge that with the story of the lives of the real everyday people that they were talking to. 1,500 years later, Martin Luther shocked the established religion. Now, this is weird because when we think of Lutherans, we think of very traditional, very, very, you know, they've been doing things the same way, but that's not how Lutheranism started at all. Luther was a revolutionary. 1,500 years after the church was formed, he shocked established religion. Do you know why? He used things like Aesop's fables in his sermons. He would use German myths to explain stuff about God all the time. And he actually ripped off a popular beer-drinking song to write a hymn if you've ever heard the hymn, some of us will be familiar with Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That is a beer drinking song. He ripped it off, okay? Everybody in Germany would have known that tune. It's really stunning. A hundred years later in England, John Wesley was doing the same thing. They wouldn't let him preach in a church. He gave his first sermon standing on his own father's grave. To, to make it more powerful, to bring people to a, a certain setting. A hundred years after that, Hudson Taylor went to China and retold the story of the gospel in, in a way that the, the Chinese could resonate with it. The point is, the followers of Jesus have always understood the power of what we looked at last week, of what social scientists call a meta-narrative. The overarching, foundational, unifying, comprehensive story that gives a culture its identity, its meaning, and its purpose. And over and over and over again, followers of Jesus have adapted how they share and how they live out God's story in a way that resonates with every culture's meta-narrative, regardless of what culture that they're in. Now, no one can deny that our society right now, our culture is changing so fast. I think my favorite quote from last year is, things are changing faster than people can. And that's certainly, I know that's my experience. It is a wild world that we live in for sure. 
And much of that's around technology on a day-to-day basis, right? Like our, our tech guy came into my office the other day and he said, hey, I just wanted to update your computer. I'm like, no way. Do not touch this computer. I just figured out Windows 95. You cannot, <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> like, please, no more change. None, don't, please. It happens, or my phone will update and the next day I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how to make a call. Just, I just figured it out. Technology is changing, it's disorienting, but what's really disorienting isn't the things that are changing around us, it's the story, right? Like, we feel like foreigners, because here's what's happening. Our culture's meta-narrative is in flux right now. The story we are in is being rewritten, and we don't know who's rewriting it. It sure doesn't feel like me. You probably don't think it feels like you. It's be written, rewritten every day. And for some of us, that is absolutely terrifying. The amount of terror you feel probably corresponds to the amount of years that you have on the planet. Because it's just, for me, I'm just befuddled, bewildered. I don't know what's happening. Some of us might welcome some of this rewriting, okay? But here's what every, all of us have to agree on. We know it's true. The story is changing as we're in it. So regardless of how you personally view what is happening, here's what we know, that the call of Scripture, the model of the early church, the example of Jesus is clear. Making the forgiveness, acceptance, love, and affection of God, the gospel of grace, relevant and compelling, in every place and time, is a priority. It's a must. It has to happen. And in such a time as ours, with unbelievable amounts of change, that means that retelling how the gospel of grace is presented and lived out needs to be done. It has to be done. And so this retelling is a huge part of our mission together. And it begins with everything like, why aren't I in some kind of formal costume? Or why are we meeting in a public space? Or all, everything we do, we're, we're trying to reframe. And some of them work, some of them don't, okay? But, but the idea, the point is, the retelling is rooted in the Bible, and it's built upon the oldest and deepest traditions of the church. What, what we are doing is really old. Really, really old. Ironically. Now, I'm not suggesting that we know what we're doing. We don't, okay? There's something, if you've been around long, you know we try a lot of things that end up not sticking on the wall. So this isn't science. It's the, it's the art of storytelling. And it's hit and miss. There's a lot of trial and error that goes with that. But just being open to it can actually work miracles. So just one small example of what this retelling could mean brings us back to the most amazing film ever of Tarzan, okay? So the best part of that movie was actually the chase scenes. They weren't typical chase scenes. They, they weren't car chases or like running through the city streets. It wasn't cowboys chasing a bank robber on horseback. These are all familiar to us. We've all seen these before. And even though they can be exciting in a movie, 
We have a sense of control because we know that story. We know all these stories. We, we all know how to drive, run, and some of us even have ridden a horse. These are basically familiar, but the chase scenes in Tarzan, completely different. Like nothing I'd ever seen or experienced. They were frenetic, like dizzying and frightening. This dude was like swinging from one vine to another through a jungle. That is something we know nothing about. And it reminded me so much of what the life of faith can feel like, what it can live like in our day and age, in a time that is changing so quickly. If you have adult children like I do, it's like it's a, there's a generation gap, and then there's just like this, this is new, this is different. This feels like a civilization gap, right? Unfortunately, in the contemporary story of what the Christian life is supposed to look like, it's largely depicted as this civilized, clean, prim and proper thing. It, it really, what it's about is, it's about what we know about God and being really certain about what we know. If I had to encapsulate, like, what do most of us think is the story of God, it's he's really concerned that we know a bunch of things about him and we've got those down, and we believe them completely, all the time. See, this, this old story presents the life of faith as more like, like a place to stand, like picture like a, a mountain climber who's just conquered a mountain. He's on top of this mountain from which, from that perch, he can see all of life, you know. But in my life, in the lives of people I know, that's not how the story goes. That's not what the life of faith feels like. That's not what it lives like. A few years ago, some friends gave me a book. Um, it's called The Sin of Certainty by Peter Enns. Really good book. I really enjoyed it. And it, it's been incredibly affirming for me personally as I read my kind of story of faith. And I think it's been really affirming for the mission of Storyline. The author asserts that for far too long, faith and what constitutes a strong faith has been all about knowing. Like knowing what you believe. That means doubts and questions and uncertainty are like a sign of weakness. They're a bad thing. They're an embarrassment. They need to be hidden. We, th those cannot be part of the story of faith. One of the reasons that storyline exists is to embrace the really difficult question that life, the difficult questions that life just brings up, and to lean in to our doubts and the misgivings, the resistance that I think we all have to faith when we're really honest. And instead of pretending we don't struggle with these, we use the difficulties, the doubts and the disappointments as fulcrums, as a lever, as opportunities to be more real with each other, to be more real with ourselves, to be more real with God, all in the hopes of establishing a real, a better connection with God in our real, everyday lives. Now, just this week, I met with an old friend. We, we have been friends literally for 45 years. And... Um, had just a wonderful time, a 
great conversation, talking about the point we are in our life. And later, same day, I had a, a conversation with a, a young man, a new friend that I've known for four to five years, not 45 years. And it blew me away because I found that in both of those conversations, we were talking about essentially the same thing. Unbelievable. That life is a mix of what we think we've learned, what we know that we know, what we know that we don't know, and it's this search, this yearning, essentially, for a story to see ourselves in. I heard my very accomplished and very professional old friend in his mid-50s, and I heard it in my brilliant young friend in his mid-20s, and I know it was true for me as well. We all need a story. And the thing that tied my feelings together and my old friend and my new young friend's uh, feelings all together more than anything is that I heard in both of them this, this understanding that this search for a new story, this search to be retold, begins with choosing to somehow align our story with God's. Thank you. 
that song. Thank you, Michaela. Beautiful. Maybe we need to be retold. Maybe we need a new story about what it looks like to follow after God. You see, unlike the stereotypical church in our culture in America today, the Bible and its cast of characters don't downplay doubts. They don't quash questions. In books like Ecclesiastes and Job and the Psalms, the writers of the Bible don't flinch at their own objections or obstacles or even their own anxiety about God or even their own anger with God. And yet, they choose God over and over again because they knew they were in a different story, not one where it's about what you know, but about who you trust. And as it turns out, in the Bible, the story of living by faith is not about certainty and knowing what you believe at all times. It's not about the story of standing firm on solid ground. It's actually a lot more like swinging through a jungle from vine to vine, getting a, getting a grip on something, swinging, letting go, and looking for the next thing. You know, Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard popularized this idea called the leap of faith. We've all heard of that. It's an image because it's a story, an image. It's something that I think we just, we, we think of it as this like one-time leap, like from here, the leap of faith, to here. Like we're going from this ledge to that ledge, like with this safe place to land. But that isn't a leap of faith. That's just a leap a real leap of faith is jumping when you don't really know if there's a safe place to land and you certainly don't know what's in between. The story of faith as things we know just isn't going to work in the world that we're living in now. But the story of faith retold, not as what we know, but who we trust. Who we trust maybe that could work. 
What if living by faith in the grace of God means we are continually having to trust God again and again? And it feels much less like standing on a mountaintop and much more like swinging through the trees. Can you see yourself in that story? Maybe we start to see ourselves a new way. Maybe we, our retold story, maybe we see ourselves something like a stranger living in a new and foreign world, making a difference by learning the way of those around us and serving them, loving them where they are, as they are, and moving forward by grabbing a vine, jumping, swinging, and letting go and doing that over and over again. That's a great story. That is a cool story. But here's what it means. It means that we can't pretend we're on a mountaintop. We can't pretend that we know everything. We can't believe, pretend that we have a 360-degree view of all of life. It means facing our fears. It means dealing with our doubts. It means asking our questions, all while recognizing that all of that fits into the story of the life of faith. That, that is the central theme for our community of Storyline. We are convinced that far too many people have left the church and far, far too many people have been repelled by the church because the life of faith has been presented and then pretended to be a life of certainty. This one-time leap of faith onto a mountaintop where you know everything a life of answered questions and a 360-degree view of smooth sailing where any deviation, hesitation, or reservation is a sign that you don't get it, that you don't belong in your second class at best. And what we're suggesting together is that that story is just not going to work in this time and place. It needs to be retold. And, And the truth is, Really, that story didn't hold water in the early church or in the Bible, in the lives of the disciples, or even in the life of Jesus himself. The, psalm asks, the Psalms ask this question all the time. God, where are you? Over and over again. The disciples hidden fear on more than one occasion. They were much more like the keystone cops than they were like this regiment of people who just believed perfectly all the time. Jesus himself cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? The life of faith in God's grace is fraught with difficulties, doubt, disappointment, and danger. It always has been. It's also incredible and amazing and rewarding. It's the best way to live. It leads to a flourishing life. But it feels a lot more like swinging from a vine than standing with perfect posture on a mountaintop. So if you know what it feels like to swing back and forth and up and down, to lose your grip, if you know what it means and feels like to free fall because the script has been flipped on you, to reach for something that it, you, don't, you don't even know what it is, anything before you hit the ground, if you have recurring doubts or haunting questions and yet you still somehow believe or even if you just somehow would like to believe, want to trust that there's a God and he's on our side, 
but you aren't quite sure what that looks like? Well, that is the life of faith. And this is a community on a mission to help one another do that. Find, form, and fortify a real trust in the grace of God in our real lives. No pretending it's pretty and no apologies when it isn't. The truth is that Jesus said of a pagan Roman soldier, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. He told a non-Jewish, homeless, crazy man, no, who wanted to go with Jesus, he said, no, don't come with us. Go home, tell your friends how much God has done for you and how much mercy he's had on you, making this guy the first missionary. And we know he wasn't the right religion. In other words, Jesus was not as nearly as, as bent on getting people to believe some specific static set of facts about God or some religion as maybe we are. His was a shocking retelling. And, a, and a, the religious crowd was shocked by it. Jesus had all kinds of chances to convert people to a specific, correct knowledge through information and explanation and yet chose over and over again to use the art of storytelling. He chose the way of transformation and experience, the way of love, forgiveness, acceptance, and engagement, giving people the opportunity to experience and embody the gospel of grace. That was the story that he was telling and is still telling. Jesus handed people vines, pointed them toward the unknown, and invited them to jump. Now, I don't know exactly what that will look like for you, but I do know this is what it's going to feel like. You don't have to jump if you don't want to. I don't know if I want to. But you know, this will be the coolest single experience of your life. I know, this is also the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. All right, here we go. Oh no, Devin, not yet, not yet. Oh, oh you have to respect the countdown. Five. I'm not gonna jump. I don't know if I can jump. I'll count down to zero. If you choose not to jump, I'm totally fine with you not this. jumping. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. I can't do it. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. I can't do it. Two, one, zero. Men not recommended, okay? But maybe that is what the life of faith in God's grace feels like. It's not so much a place to stand, it's a point to jump from, a vine to cling to, a mission to leap for, and a community to do all that with. It isn't about what we know, it's about who we trust. 
Maybe the new story of faith isn't about this one-time leap from where we've been to a mountaintop of religious facts, but leaping for something better over and over again. It's one surrender to God, followed by another, and then yet another re-surrender.
Guys, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Look, we can have it all in life. We can have all the special effects, the costume, the makeup, huge budget, star-studded cast. I mean, our life can have all the ingredients of a blockbuster and still bomb because it can never be better than the story that it's telling. God has come to us. We are now free to choose him, to surrender to him, and to do that when we are 25 and 55 and 85 and every day in between, and every day before, and every day after. That is the life of faith. It's like swinging through the trees much more than standing on a mountain. And if we can see ourselves in that movie, that is a story we can live in and live out, and then we can retell God's story with our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to be together, to look at your word and to consider all that you're doing for us, in us, around us, with us, and through us. I pray this week you would help us to see the story we see ourselves in and how you'd like to retell that in ways that are compelling and lead us to a deeper flourishing in life. Pray that as we leave here this morning, you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Have a great holiday weekend.